investment and forethought that went into, you know, raising you and preparing you. Plus, I'm a fuck. I'm a sorry, one here. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a spoiled brat. So, you know, he spoiled but you, me. But you know what? It seems to be that you've taken the tools that were given to you at a young age, and you really made, you know, you took advantage of them. You really made well with them. You know what, Jimmy? The the funny thing about it is, I spent an, an enormous amount of my life being envious of people who did not have the tools. And in fact, I've learned from them. I remember uh, I grew up on Long Island in a town called West Hempstead. And there was a guitar player there. His name is John Bernard. And you know, I, I, I'm glad we're doing this interview because I'm going to look him up. Um, and he had a Marshall stack, right? Mm-hmm. And a Stratocaster and a Les Paul. And he played, I thought he outplayed Hendrix, you know. And I was playing Hello, Dolly, you know, and, you know, show tunes and my father's music. I don't mean his songs, but, you know, the the decades before. And I thought, man, I'm lame. I mean, I'm not going to, I mean, I hate to say it. I was remember saying, I'm not going to get any girlfriends this way. (laughs) And, 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 And the other thing was John Bernard had hair that was almost down to his backside. Yeah. And my parents wouldn't let me have long hair. They they told me if the, if I grew my hair long, I'd do drugs. So I wasn't allowed to get my hair, to grow my hair. I had like a crew cut almost. Yeah. Right? Right. I, you know, Hard before, to be a the interviews, before the interview started, I don't know when you've turned the record on, but or how you're doing this, but... You, you gave me an amazingly delicious compliment about my life and how I am and all that stuff, and I will always appreciate that. Yeah. But I want you to know I'm an a-hole because um, <laughs> I could... So I'm jealous of John Bernard. My mother is dying, right? She's in the hospital. They're telling us that she's got a couple days left. And so when my father walks out of the room... I go into my into the hospital room with my mother, and I said, "Mom, you know I love you so much. Can you just please do me a favor?" She said, "What is it, Jamie?" I said, "I want you to tell Dad that I'm allowed to have long hair." And she said, "Okay, I'll tell Dad." You know. And anyway, after she died, my father let me have long hair because that was her wish. I'll be darned. Yeah, I mean, otherwise I'd still be looking like I'm an army. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an adult now. You could, you know. <laughs> I guess I could do what I want. Yeah, but right. but it it was really because I felt like I remember I felt like such a uh, useless. You know, I was playing the show tunes. Everybody else was playing rock and roll. I I had these pants called corn cobbler pants. You ever see those? No, I'm not familiar. <laughs> They were jeans, but if you if you hem them, not hem them, but turn them the cuffs up. Oh, okay. On the other side was like blue checkerboard. Ah. And I had uh, I was flat footed, so they put like stride right shoes. I mean, I was the most freaking nerd from hell. <laughs> you know, nerd. 
and and here I am, and I can see all the girls are you know congregating around John Bernard and all this stuff. So anyway, um, so I guess that X is out all the nice things you said about me because now you know I'm a turd. Oh no, not at all. You know, you know what though? Uh, yeah, I, I got I gotta know. You know, you said that your father gave you a Les Paul. What were you playing before? When you had to learn uh, those 150 songs, what what kind of guitar were I, you playing? I was playing a Gretsch Anniversary. Anniversary. And, and my father knew Fred Gretsch. Okay. So there's the, a the little little story. You know, you're going to have to stop me because I you make it very comfortable for me to talk, and I don't want to just talk your ear off or bore your audience. Um, the, <clears throat> so Fred Gretsch lived in Brooklyn. I don't know how my father knew him. But my father came home with what's called a white falcon. Have you ever seen that? I, I actually have one. Do, do you really? Yeah. Oh, my. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I got to come over and hang out <laughs> with you. I actually got um, a few hidden gems. Wow, wow, wow. Well, anyway, he he brought the guitar to me when I was around 12-ish. Yeah. And I already had my sights on the Les Paul already. He knew it. And I was kind of like, what is this? Because I already had a Gretsch anniversary. Yeah. So I put the guitar down. I remember I was wearing shorts. And the guitar made a ridge in my leg because it was so heavy. Yeah. And and, and um, I told my father, I said, I hate this guitar. I hate this guitar. He says, but there's gold on this and the pickups are this. And it's just talking <laughs> me into it. I said, I don't want this guitar. Bring it back to Mr. Gretsch and get me a Les Paul, please. Always said please, of course. Yeah. So he, he took the White Falcon. I never saw it again. Wow. Yeah, but I was I played a Gretsch anniversary, and I had, uh, as I recall, I had a K acoustic guitar, which I learned on. Right. Um, and and, and what, year was, was, what year was the Les Paul? You were... I was 13, so I, I don't know what year that is. I, I was born in 55. Okay. So, do, so you, is, do you still have any of those? I don't. Yeah. That's so and it, there's a reason for that, but no, I do not, and I wish I did. Yeah, I was like that. You know, I had, uh, you know, some some pretty nice things early on, and, you know, life happens, and you don't have yeah, them no more. Well, but. The, the few people who are listening to you who know something about me know that I was in an earthquake in California. Oh, and, 1994, called the Northridge Earthquake. I was a mile from the epicenter. And uh, I I won't tell the whole story today, but um, I became extremely ill after. I got uh, an enormous case of PTSD. And um, I had been up for over 40-something hours because I came in from... Uh, Yugoslavia that day, that night. I got back from, from Los Angeles airport around 1 o'clock in the morning and uh, and I was up and the earthquake hit around a little bit before 6 a.m. And so once that happened and the firemen took me out of the place because the door was shut, was uh, jammed. Um, anyway, I got PTSD and for the next well, about two years, a little under two years, I was not me. Um, I ended up pawning and losing 19 guitars, yeah. which in, which included the Gretsch anniversary. 
and and all my custom guitars and everything. Yeah. Um, and I didn't care. I had a I had a Fender Stratocaster that actually was one of the necks from Jimi Hendrix when they threw the stuff off the stage um, that I got in a wonderful shop in New Jersey, trading my SG and seven or eight thousand dollars for it. Mm. And uh, that was one of the last guitars I pawned. Yeah. And I pawned it for 80 bucks, and I was told he got $11,000 for it in Russia. Wow. So, so yeah, I mean, the thing yeah. is that I just have a room full of guitars again. and uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as part of it, it's kind of like, you know, you, you know what, Jimmy? It's kind of like you have some friends in college or high school or elementary school, and they'll always be part of your heart, but you don't see them anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you know, it's, I think similar things happens, you know, to a lot of us. I know I went through some stuff in, you know, and I had quite a few guitars and amps and that. And at one point in time, I I got rid of everything and I actually stopped playing. And, really? Yeah, I, I didn't play the guitar, and uh, for me, I was I was uh, I was hanging around some people and and I hadn't played for you know several years. And somebody, you know, was playing guitar, had an acoustic guitar, and they asked me if I played, and I said, well, I used to, but I don't play no more. And and they go, wow. you want to play it? And they handed it to me, and my wife was there, and I played it, and she said that, you know, I looked like I was, you know, a, a really sad, you know, puppy at the time, like I really missed it, so she went out and bought me a, you oh, know, wow. an acoustic, you know, uh, just just so I could play again because I had given it all up. But anyway, I went from that point to not playing for a period of time. And, you know, today I sit in a room with, I probably got around 60, 65 guitars. Oh, my Lord. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's insane. I'm moving in with you. That's it. It's, yeah. a, it's insane. <laughs> it is. It's crazy. What's your favorite one to play, or do you have a couple of favorites? I tell I tell you what, as it sits right now, I I've always you know what I've always been a, a Fender guy. Okay. You know I, I always have. I've I, I've got a '57 that I absolutely love, but ah. but just recently I bought an Ibanez Prestige. Okay. And uh, it's monkey pod wood with a fire roasted you know, uh, maple neck, and I absolutely love the guitar. Wow. It plays... You know the story about Ibanez with uh, me? No, I don't, no. Well, I always love to hear about Ibanez guitars um, because, you know, when you when you do your career, they're like kind of landmarks, right? They're, they, it could be your favorite gig or the first person that, that you signed an autograph for, or the best show, or whatever, whatever, right? So we are, I had a Gibson ES-335 Sunburst, and um, I, that's what I had at Berkeley, pretty much. I had that in the Gretsch. Mm-hmm. And uh, I loved that guitar. I really loved it. And we were playing in, I was already with Jean-Luc Ponty, and we were playing in Florida. This is, uh, gosh, man. It is 79, 80, 81. Um, and uh, great concert at a place called Guzman Hall in Miami. Uh, you know, the 80s in Florida was the heyday for cocaine um, uh, and all that. 
Right. It's very open there, and I don't know. Uh, anyway, it, it was a different kind of world down there for sure. Um, and uh, anyway, about three in the morning, I hear from my uh, guitar tech, uh, Joe Ockeltree, who's a pretty well-known guy. He's done a lot of great bands, and, and he's crying. And if you if you know this fellow. This would, I mean, not that that man can't cry, but this would be the last one that I'd think call me up crying. So I thought he was drunk. I don't know what the hell was going on. He said, uh, your guitar and your amp are gone. And I said, wait, what do you, what, what do you mean? So anyway, what happened was that they had so much, so many stagehands at the, in those days, all union stagehands. They rolled my boogie amp and my Gibson 335 into a car to go, and, and some of Jean-Luc's bows, uh, to go to some drug dealer. Oh, wow. A, a major drug dealer. The, the, you know, I don't want to give more information on the radio here. Yeah. Guess, but uh, a big, big, a big deal down there. Um, and uh, so the, I am, uh, as we say in New York, I am effed. Yeah. I don't have my guitar. I don't have my amp. Um, uh, Jean-Luc has a couple more bows, but this was one of his favorites. So in the morning, we get a call. Somebody had Jean-Luc's bow. And the story goes that this was a guy who was buying cocaine, who was a giant fan of ours. He heard that this stuff was stolen, and he bought it from the drug dealer. Uh, for hundreds of dollars for Jean-Luc. Yeah. But my stuff was not recovered. No. So I got on the phone to Gibson, you know, and I explained what happened, and I asked if they could get, get me a guitar for this show that was like another day or two out. And um, they told me straight out, no, we can't help you. I mean, it was, and we were raging Jimmy, we were doing, you know, I mean, right. for that time, five, five to 8,000 seaters every night. I was actually shocked. I wasn't asking for an endorsement. I just wanted a deal on a guitar. You know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm on the road, no car, you know. I, I mean, I, get, I could ask the tour manager, but I didn't have a way to go to some store in the middle of Miami, whatever, right? So anyway, uh, we go back to the theater because I am notified that there are two men from Japan that would like to speak with me. And so, okay. So I go back to the theater, and on the stage are eight guitar cases, all open. And two Japanese fellows, right, who turned out, to, you may know these people, turned out to be Chuck Fukugawa mm -hmm. and, and Tom Tanaka. Yeah. And... They looked at me and they said, we heard your guitar was stolen, sir. So, so respectful, you know. Please choose a guitar. <laughs> and I, first of all, I had never had an artist endorsement. I did never heard of Ibanez. And the reason why I never heard of Ibanez is because they, Hoshino or Ibanez, had no guitars released in the United States yet. Oh. Only student models. They had... You know, they, like, they, they would be like what we have now, the cheap 
cheap um, stuff from Korea, or whatever. Right. That it's in a in a in a um, you know what do they call these, these smaller Saman stores, um, and so forth. Yeah. So I picked the Ibanez Artist EQ, which I'm sure you've seen in videos. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the guy gives me a piece of paper. Says sign here. I was like, oh, I, I, I was completely green, Jimmy. I had no freaking idea what I was signing, what I was doing. <laughs> I thought it was just a receipt that I got the guitar, right? right. And I, I'll give it back when the tour's over. And no, 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 no. You sign your Ibanez artist, our first artist in the United States. I'll be darned. So out of all the blessings, man, all the honors, I became the first Ibanez artist. Wow. Um, and, and, and I am uh, grateful to that, for that, and, and loved my years with Ibanez, you know. Yeah. Loved it. Loved, loved, loved. And their instruments are wonderful. They care, you know. Um, I had uh, the great joy of going to Nagano in Japan, where they actually make the stuff, a lot of the stuff. And um, the, the amount of care about their products was really evident, you know. Yeah. And tr- trying to keep, they, they kind of had a double thing going on. Here they have, they started to get the notoriety, and they started to have the heavy metal guys use it. Then they had people like, say, Steve Vai, uh, Satriani, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then it became like Guitar Wars. You had them and BC Rich and that company over here and Gibson and Fender and everybody fighting for a piece of the action. So it became a, a much bigger business than when I got involved with them. Of course, it was no business when I got involved with them. Yeah. But, well, um, well, they, they make, you know, if you, if you go to their, you know, their Japanese, the Japanese made ones, you know, the more top of the line, the AZs or the prestiges, you know, and that they're, the quality is amazing to me. And I own boutique guitars and I know boutique builders, you know, yes. uh, rather well. I was endorsed by a company in New York called Nikita for a short okay. period of time. And, you know, it was a gentleman that handcrafted, you know, his own guitars. And they were absolutely beautiful. And they played, you know, great. And I even played at the, um, you know, at the NAM show a couple of years in the Nikita Fush, Fush Amplifier oh, wow. booth, you know, um a couple of times in that, uh-huh. but I'm, I'm blown away by the quality of this guitar and how well it plays. I really am. Well, I'm, what I, is it? What is it? Is it a, a strat like, or is it, how does it go? It, it is. It's, it's an S model guitar, uh-huh. you know, um, it's, uh, it's got a, a humbucker at the bridge. And then the other two are single coils, but it's, wow. it's got, uh, it's got a, a, a toggle switch on it, a three-way toggle switch that allows you to, uh, conform the pickups in a different, uh, configuration. For instance, there's like one, one switch on it or, or one, uh, choice, you know, on the switch is that where you can take the, the neck pickup and the uh, middle pickup and combine them into a humbucker. That's terrific. Yeah. I I mean, the tonality aspects of this guitar are, are really, really good, but the quality of the build, you know, the way the, the neck meets the body, 
the way that they've put the new uh, where you plug in your the input, you know, for your uh, plug, the way that uh-huh. they've mounted that in the, the guitar so it almost comes in straight from the top almost so you can't pull it out. Wow. You know what I mean? So it just, you know, like you can't just step on it and it just come out because of the way that it's positioned. You you, yeah. you just can't do it, you know. But there's really a lot of, you know, really neat features about it. And there's this new player. I don't know if you're familiar with Tom Coyle. Yes, of course. Yeah. It Well, that it's his wonderful. it's his signature model, you know. I have to check it out. Yeah, it's, at, well, I, I was watching him play it and I was like, that guitar is absolutely beautiful. And then when I went through and I watched the uh, video of him going through the guitar. I was like, you know what? And, you know, and they're not cheap guitars, you know, when you get at that level, they're, you know, they're a little pricey. And, but, you know, I tell you what, it was, it was well worth it. I can't wait. I'm actually looking forward to, you know, acquiring another one here in the near future. So So I'm going to take a look at that. Um, You know, it's funny because we're on Guitar Talk. And I am very much a guy who doesn't have any freaking idea what I'm doing uh, a lot of times with gear because, strangely, I sound the same on a $9 guitar as I do a $9,000 guitar, uh, which is sometimes bothersome. Um, but, you know, a lot of times they say, well, do you want basswood? Do you want this? Do you want mahogany? I was like, just this is what... So when, when I went to Ibanez to have the custom guitars made, and <laughs> again, later on when I did Gelvin, we approached it and I explained it to them. I said, you know, you guys are the luthiers. You're the electronics guys. This is what I need. And so my needs are a little bit different than a guy that goes out and says, look, I want to sound a little bit more like Van Halen, for example. You know, right. um, I go in there and I say, look, can you build me a guitar? And this is what happened with the Gelvin. Um, I said, on a typical day, um, I will go out and I will play funk and then they'll ask me to play heavy metal, and then I'll write something for television that needs to be this, and, you know, on and on. And I need something to accommodate all this so I don't have to bring a bunch of guitars to the studio. Now, with that being said, that kind of counter, you know, I I, I look at, I may be different than some of the people I heard on your radio show before, your broadcast, because, because I go from that area, right? Right. And it's a it's a business. So uh, for the, for the musicians that are listening, the guitarists, um, uh, I'm very career oriented. You know, I know that a lot of musicians are they want to hear about the art of it, and I respect and love and would die without the art of playing. But um, I guess maybe because my dad, whatever, I always wanted to make a living at this as opposed to being the next Jimi Hendrix. Um, so I, like in, in the union, what happens at the union, or what used to happen at the union, I'd say that for a couple of reasons, the music business is changing, Yeah, is you could charge the producer uh, per instrument. So what I would do for the 20-something years as a Los Angeles studio musician was I would furnish the producers, whether it didn't matter if it was a jingle, I was working for Disney, uh, when I worked for Seinfeld, whatever, that you furnish the producer with a list, right? And it says, okay, I have a Ibanez uh, nylon string. I don't know, he's even put the manufacturer, of course. 
uh, two acoustic guitars, a high string guitar, or this or that, and and also the pedal board. And so they would choose what they want, and then they would have to pay whether I play them or not. Wow. So so and it was half of union pay, so or what they call scale. Right. So as I recall, for three hours, uh, gosh, man, I think I think for three hours, union pay was two hundred seventy-nine dollars at that time. So if they picked a bunch of guitars, uh, and also the pedal board, it's half of that price. So one thirty-five. I'm not a mathematician. I'm on the couch in my house. Right. Um, so, but but. So I could play for two minutes and get a you know fifteen hundred dollar check, and in fact, I always like to uh, remember this. I got called to, during the Olympics. I got called to do a McDonald's commercial, and uh, I was doing a lot of jingles back in L.A. And so I walked in and I gave the producer a list, and he picked every guitar I had. So at that time, what was available, I think, was twelve guitars. So already, without playing a note, it was 12 times 135. That my pay, right? Right. And I didn't play nothing, anything. Wow. And so, so I get in the studio, and I take out my white Ibanez, which you've, I'm sure you've seen, mm-hmm. and my, my white guitar, and my pedal board, and I look for the chart, for the music chart. And I said, well, I need the music. He said, oh, no, there's no music. I was well, what am I supposed to play? Right? So he says, uh, just watch the film. And when the diver jumps off the diving board, play something that will be appropriate for the dive. <laughs> so I said, okay, fine. So I'll never forget this, man, because I had... Uh, a Floyd Rose on what well, I do on most of my guitars. So I went in and uh, I looked at the film, and I I know that later on the orchestra played it in the key of D. So I said, okay. So I played a D harmonic on the seventh fret, and I whammed the guitar down as far as we go. You know, a dive yeah. bomb. I guess they, we call that in our business. And I looked, and the three guys, the gray hair and the other two producers, looked like they just discovered Mars. <laughs> they, they were, they were, so they were beyond happy. They were just like, like giddy. Like I nailed this shit that they could never have thought of, right? <laughs> and so I, I came standing there, waiting, waiting, waiting. He says, "No, you're done. It's a wrap." Oh, and, and 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 I was like, "What? You know, that's it. That's that's what you needed. Yeah. This. Anyway, that check was twenty one hundred bucks. Wow, twenty one hundred for a dive bomb. One dive bomb. <laughs> now, and I, you know, it's funny because I teach at a music college, and I always tell this story because a lot of guys are not union now. But I was like, you know, if you have an opportunity in a major city to join the union. Uh, my experience with them was always great because they paid my health and welfare, things like that. But yeah, I, I've had a couple of situations um, like that. I had a, I had another producer who wanted me to make a horse 
sound. Yeah. And uh, I tried everything I knew, Jimmy. I mean, all kinds of stuff. I remember all old westerns, and I played old western music and all this stuff, right? Anyway, he, he said, look, you keep working on it. I'm going to dinner. So he leaves, and, and, and I don't know if he was just trying to make me wealthy or what, but the session uh, ended up 12 hours, so four sessions at double scale, so it was a little, a little bit over 500 for three hours, right? Wow. So, so it's 2,000 bucks. And once again, Mr. Mr. Jimmy, <laughs> the answer was the whammy bar. Yep. I just went, oh, and he said, that's it. Go home. <laughs> it's a wrap. So, I, so, this, so, so far, the Floyd Rose whammy bar has made me around 5000 bucks with two notes. Yeah. So, well. I don't know. For, for those in your audience who are sitting home practicing Guthrie Govan's licks, I'm here to tell you, just learn one note with the whammy bar and you can have a career. <laughs> well, you know, I, I actually know a few people, you know, a couple of people that, you know, I don't know if they work so much in TV, more in movies, you know, yeah. doing trailers and, you know, things of that aspect and that. And uh, they've really carved out yeah. a really good career. And But it's it's amazing to me because I talk to so many and I know so many different guitar players. You know, like you do, of course. And it's amazing how there's there's like this. There's two trains of thoughts. There's the the schooling train of thought, and there's the you know emotional. I don't know how to read music. I'm yes. I'm doing this by feel, which is me. I've never taken you know. I tried to take a lesson when I was probably nine or ten, and I failed miserably. And I I couldn't read music if I was forced at gunpoint. You know. well, I'm going to tell you what, as a gift for honoring me to be on your show, I'm going to send you, if it's okay with you, my best-selling course, which is called Turn It Up. Um, I have two courses. One is for someone who doesn't read at all uh, to learn how to read music in 14 days. That's called Beam Me Up. And Turn It Up is all the secrets that studio musicians, pro, pro readers use. I, I'll gift you both of them. Well, well, that's that's amazing. I I appreciate that. I really do. Uh, but but I, to be with you. I've always I've always found it fascinating though because the players that I I lean towards, the people that are like if if I have to categorize my favorite players, they're all people that are very accomplished readers, right? Well, you know, here's the here's the thing, Jimmy, because you you know this. So you know that the guitar business is a giant business. Yeah. I remember in the 90s, you know, they started to sell DVDs, actually, the end of the 80s, all focusing on what's called modes. Yeah. Right? Right. Now, when I was 12 years old, I heard that word mode. My teacher said a mode is, the, is another name for scale. That's it. Yeah. But in the guitar business, when mode became something cool, remember modes came from Gregorian chant, so it, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and suddenly the guitar business, the DVD business, the REH and all these guitar video people, uh, instructional DVDs, they made it enormous. Now, as a reader, uh, I happen to know firsthand because I have to 
sometimes provide tablature, which I can't stand, um, because it's not my language, right? right? And what the music, the guitar business, the guitar manufacturers, the guitar people who make money, they have promoted tablature over reading and told people that reading was difficult. And that the, the, what they've done, in my opinion, is made guitars dummies, right? They, they, they tell you you're too stupid to read. And, and it's gotten so bad that if you go on social media, you can see these, these, uh, conversations where someone talks about reading and these people, well, if you read, you can't play. If you read, you're not emotional. If you read, you're not free. If you, and tablature is much easier. It tells you where to put your finger. And <laughs> you know what? The, the thing is that there's no, well, bass maybe, but there's no yeah. other instrument. You play the tuba, the violin, the flute, the, any instrument in the orchestra, they read. They don't, they don't have to read a diagram like they're seven years old, right? But the guitar business is such that they can sell more. Mm-hmm. So they have, you know, the, uh, this is an old word, so I, maybe this is not the proper word for what goes on. I guess some people call it alternate, uh, alternative metal, speed metal, all these guys who are and women who are doing great amazing freaking technical youtube speed freak shit stuff sorry <laughs> um and they all have books their merch and they don't even bother with notation they just give you tablature and the reason for that is simple a, a fan of one of these players is going to watch these videos for 20 hours for 20 weeks until they got every freaking you know, nail every lick and get every tap and every arpeggio just right and every sweep picking, right? Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing is that the difference between many of those people, and I I say this with respect, by the way, because I teach in a music college to some people who have this exact upbringing, is that these people have an impossible time making a living because they know every... Guthrie Govenlick, and they know everything else, and they've watched every video on YouTube with shredders, and then they get called to play at the circus for $300 an hour, and they can't read it, they can't play it, they hardly know how to play a major seven chord, and so we have this thing. Now, with that said, I have, as I said, deep respect for people who do that, who don't want to make a living at this. Right. They, they, they want to play what they see on YouTube. They want to shred. They want to play all that stuff. And maybe, and a few of them actually get lucky, you know, got a couple of years of fame and fortune. Yeah. But, but, you know, I, I hate to tell your audience because I don't want to turn anybody off, but I'm 65 years old and I'm working seven days a week still. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not always good. I'm just saying I work. <laughs> Well, you know, your your uh, your accomplishments, you know, really speak, you know, uh, you know, they speak, you know, really highly of of your abilities, of course. I mean, look at Chick Corea, Manhattan Transfer, you know, uh Ponte, oh my god. I mean, just those three alone. I mean, that's not, you know, that that's not 12 bar blue stuff. Yeah, but you know, it's all it's all the same. You know who I I wanted to play with, this might surprise, you know, 
you mentioned those three, and I'm very proud of that. Thank you. Um, but a lot of people don't know that I did, you know, Eric Burden from The Animals and played with uh, Brian Adams and yeah. rock and roll and Shaka Khan and funk and all this stuff. And and it, it's such a treat, you know, to learn from these people. I, I remember I did a TV show with, you, you know who Iggy Pop is? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I was the studio guy on the Iggy Pop session. And oh, really? he was... Yeah, he was like the most amazing, wonderful, fun to play with, you know? Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, look, I don't want to be known really as a jazz fusion guy. It's old crap, and I, I respect it. I surely feel lucky, you know? But I like to, you know, I don't want to be, be old. I, I'll tell you a really quick, tiny story. So you mentioned uh, vintage guitars, um, the Nikita and others here. So my first teacher, who was the guitarist on the Ed Sullivan show, his name was Joe Bariz. Joe Bariz. Mm -hmm. His real name is Baricio, but he went by his stage name, Joe Bariz. Um, Joe was... I went for a lesson every Saturday. My father would drive me 20 minutes to a town on Long Island to see him. And uh, Joe was downstairs... Uh, with his $25,000 D'Angelico. Oh, wow. Now, this, now Jimmy, this was $25,000 back then. Yeah. So this this is an instrument, like, you know, handmade by the original D'Angelico. And he's downstairs with a, a record player. And he takes the needle, he's going back and forth, back and forth, and he's playing... Um, Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. And I thought that this was the funniest thing I've ever seen. First of all, I already I'm a snobby little kid, you know, already been playing since I'm nine. And here's my old teacher with his D'Angelico trying to learn Hendrix. Mm -hmm. And I remember this like it's the, it's one of the most important lessons I've ever had, to be honest with you. So I walk in and I'm kind of giggling and my father's like, what are you laughing about, Jim? I was like, look, Joe is trying to play the, oh, Mr. Breeze is trying to play Hendrix. And and you can see he's struggling with it too. He's got like 13s on his guitar, right? He's trying, <laughs> trying to do Jimi Hendrix on the D'Angelico. And, <laughs> and finally I burst out laughing. And Mr. Breeze, Joe Breeze, he looks at me, he said, I want you to sit down next to me. He was like, oh, he was like kind of angry, right? Yeah. And so I sat down next to him. He said, I want you to to learn from me today. He said, he said, you're a good student. He says, but this is a very important lesson. He said, if you don't keep up with the times, and you don't learn new things, you'll be considered not only old, but pretty much dead in the music business. And this was such an enormous lesson for me, Jimmy, yeah. because that's why, you know, on social media, I can't tell you probably literally hundreds of messages a month about f being a fan of Ponty, right? Yeah. And, and there are sometimes I, I'm kind of edgy with these people. I'm like, well, did you happen to hear the Super Bowl last year? That was me. Cause I, I feel like I'm, it's like the Ricky Nelson song that, 
you remember the Ricky Nelson song where he sings about, um, uh, what's it called? The Garden Party? Oh, yeah. Went to the Garden Party? Yeah, you know what that song was about? I have no idea what it was about. The Garden Party was a song where he says, um, in the lyric, if you only came here to hear me play my old hits, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> when he played his hits, like The Traveling Man and uh, whatever other hits he had, the crowd would go crazy, and then he'd try to play stuff off the new albums, and nobody would even pay attention. Yeah. And and so I kind of started to get the Ricky Nelson thing going with this. But anyway, that, that lesson with Joe Breeze was that, and, and indeed... You know, I, I, age is just a number, but I produce music for 21-year-olds, you know, 18-year-olds. Um, I'm fortunate enough to write, as you probably know, for uh, CBS, for the NFL, mm-hmm. uh, the NBA. Uh, my biggest account is the PGA for golf, uh, when they decided that golf was too farty and they wanted to bring the music up a little bit and I have an account with the discovery network now. Um, and if I wrote stuff that's just from my generation, I would never have work again. Right. You know, now I, I with that said, I, I, I will say, cause it, I didn't want to sound like a mean guy. When I watch YouTube and watch the modern day 18 year old shredders, uh, I'm not sure I can do that the way they do it. Yeah. Like, I, I, you know, I, I, I watch, I even have this, I have a software um, that slows the videos down. Um, I can't think of what it's called now. Uh, video Surgeon. It's pretty mm. cool. Yeah. And it, sl- it slows down the video, and I can watch what they're doing. And I've sat there a few times and tried to emulate what I watch. And even when I get the notes, I kind of don't have the feel. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I have to know that, yeah, you know, I grew up in the 60s. I'm not going to sound like I was born in 1999. But, um, so I have great respect for that. I was just saying that because I teach in music college and do workshops, seminars all over the world, or was before the pandemic, um, that, that I often, I, I, I meet these people who can play great stuff, fast stuff, everything that they watch on YouTube, and they say, well, I said, well, where are you gigging, you know? I said, well, I, you know, I work at a wood shop or, I, you know, I drive a bus. Right. But, which is fine, by the way. It's great. I, I'm actually jealous of some people who do other things sometimes. But but I would love to see somebody be able to do what, you know, Tim Pierce does or Dean Parks or Mike Landau or myself or Lukather or whatever, is we take the money and we put it away or we buy a car, we go to London or we buy our wives a gift or, you know, or have be nuts like Jamie Glazer and have 12 pets, <laughs> which, which are much more costly than a wife. Right. I've seen the birds. Oh uh, gosh. Have you seen, have you not seen the chinchillas? That's my, no, I've, I've only seen the birds. Yeah, well, I've been actually getting complaints on you. Believe it or not, people get to know you. You know, yeah, they they're complaining that I only post mu- music videos and they missed when I used to sing with my chinchillas. You know, um, <laughs> so yeah, I've got uh, four elderly chinchillas that I've had since they're kids, and um, you know, it takes a lot of work, Jimmy. Yeah. I mean, 
when you buy a chinchilla at, at a pet store, the, the average lifespan for most of these animals are one to five years. And that's because nobody ever teaches them anything about the animals. Yeah. Um, my youngest is 15. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they, and I've, I've met other people. I have a little forum, well, it's not a little forum, over 100,000 members called Lucky's Place, which is my forum. And I've met people with chinchillas that are 26, 27 years old. Wow. Um, but it, it, it's enormous care, and it's enormous amount of money sometimes because these kinds of animals have to take a special doctor. You yeah. know, they get into... It, it's a nutty life, Jimmy, you yeah. know? Yeah. I know this is guitar talk and not animal talk, but... Um, <laughs> We've switched gears. I, I do want to ask you a couple, just a couple more yeah, questions, yeah. if you don't mind. One no, is, I'm here for you. One is, is when it comes to, uh, you said earlier when you were playing with Ponte that you were playing through a, a Mesa Boogie. What kind of amp is it that you prefer? I know, I know that you have to use different things in different situations, you know, since, you know, when you're talking about doing music for the NFL versus, you know, recording for somebody and that, you know, yes. it, it's going to be completely different. But yes. when, when you have, when you have your your preference, you know what is your go to? What's the go to amp for you? Well, this is a, a complicated question because I haven't really used an amplifier for fifteen years. Maybe <laughs> um, I have them, but I, hold on. I'm, believe it or not, I know. I guess you're going to edit this at some point. I'm feeding my dog who's barking here. Um, I can't give you that right now, Bullet. I'm on the air, babe. Um, here, just have this for now. I'll get you more. Sorry. That's all right. I bet that doesn't happen to you with Lukather. He's got no dogs. Um, but you would know. You would know what did happen with Lukather. What? He st- I asked him a question at the beginning. I said hello, Steve, and this and that. And I asked him a question, and he didn't stop talking for an hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> I know Steve very well. Uh, <laughs> You know, he's, yes, that's, he's, I won't shut up usually either, but he's, he usually is one step over me. I mean, he's, he, he, he can go. Um, all right, so amplifiers. So I, uh, grew up with a Fender, with an Ampeg Reverber Rocket was my first amp, which I adored. Um, then I had a Fender Super Reverb. Most of my teenage life. In fact, that's what I brought to the Ponte auditions. And then I'll get to the boogie. So at my audition for Ponte, he gave me this music for Enigmatic Ocean, which had Alan Holsworth on it. And I had never heard, I didn't even know it was a guitar. I'm not just giving him props. I mean, it's like, that sounds like a guitar, but I kind of never heard that come out of a guitar before. And so I'm reading the music with my Fender Super Reverb, and I just can't sound like Alan. Not the leads. Surely I couldn't solo like him. You know, I was a very dear friend. He was a, he was a very dear friend of mine eventually. But um, so, in case you didn't know this story, so Alan was. Well, I have to backtrack. So I took over for Alan Holsworth, which is. Um, Unbelievable. That shouldn't have happened. But, uh, Alan, Alan was on tour with Jean-Luc after the album and he was unhappy. 
and he was unhappy for the simple reason that he missed his girlfriend yeah. in London. He missed his London. He missed he missed England. He missed his life. He was uncomfortable touring, playing this music all the time. And they had this big gig at the Nassau Coliseum in New York, which is a 10,000-seater, and he he bailed on the, he bailed on the gig, man. Oh wow! He bailed. He got on an airplane. He left. Wow. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I mean, he just didn't. I mean, he. I guess he gave the warning, but he just like one day they woke up and he wasn't there anymore. Um, and uh, that's how I got my audition. Because Steve Smith, I'd gone to Berkeley with him, the drummer, right. and he, you know, he said, "Look, he, Jamie can read." And blah, blah, blah. so when I got to the gig, to the audition in New York, I played with my Super Reverb, and I said, "You know, Mr. Ponty, what is it this Mr. Holsworth played through?" He said, "Well, he used this amp. He showed me the Mesa Boogie." Yeah, and I thought, well. I need this amplifier because this must be some freaking magic. I had never heard of the app, by the way. This has to be some magical piece of equipment because the guitar didn't have a sound like I had, you know? Yeah. And so I asked, can I buy it? So they, they said, well, we'll have to call Alan, who's in the UK. So that was my first time talking to Alan. And I said, Alan, I, I, if you've ever watched the Alan Holsworth Memorial, I tell the story, but much more eloquently. But Alan was one of the biggest inspirations in my entire life. I yeah. said, Alan, I, I need to buy your amp because I need to sound like you, you know. And he said, why would you want to sound like me? He said, you want to sound like you. But he needed money, so he sold me the amp for 800 bucks. <laughs> Love it. So, I buy, I buy the Mesa Boogie, I go out, and Jimmy, I sounded exactly like I did with the Super Reverb. <laughs> it wasn't, it, you could have taken the quarter inch jack, pulled it out of the amp, plugged plug it in the other amp, and I was the same freaking guy. Um, so, that, so eventually, I didn't get what I wanted out of the Mesa because I didn't sound like Holsworth. Yeah. And that's what I mean, really, I'm just like you, you know, like people, not, not that it's not true, but I know growing up, I really thought that if I had a Marshall and that's how they built their business, you know, I would sound like Alvin Lee or I'd sound like Hendrix or whoever. Yeah. And so, and, and indeed you could, I guess, if you're smart, but I wasn't, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> so, so I didn't sound like Holsworth. So eventually, um, uh, Daryl Sturmer was the other guitar player, and uh, we ended up using um, Sun S U N N amps. Yeah, and uh, those were very nice. They're in solid state, but they were very cool. Used the Sun amps, and then I don't remember exactly how it happened, but I met the people from Randall, and I became a Randall artist. Uh, it was, I remember I was all excited because Dawkins was with them. Because <laughs> I, I didn't want to be a jazz guy. I always wanted to be a rock and roll star. So, yeah. um, you know, it was Dawkins. It was also, who's the guitar player who plays with two next, uh, 
opposite each other. Kind of a metal guy. Uh, oh, oh, where? On which band? I don't know. I what? What? what I can't even think. It was Dio? Is it? Is it Ronnie Dio? I don't know. Ronnie James oh. Dio. I think he had Jakey Lee. Uh, he had him play, and he had Vivian Campbell, I believe. Oh yeah, Vivian. I know. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause was, so that was. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to be with Randall. You know, I went. Yeah. That factory was in uh, Torrance, uh, California, not maybe forty minutes from my house. I went down the factory. They treated me amazingly great. Um, I have, was going to play at the Hollywood Bowl and the Greek Theater in L.A. Big venues and. They, they thought it would be great. They gave me an amplifier. And so Randall was my amp for, and I still have those. Yeah. Uh, RG, RG80s. Uh, and then, uh, and then things started to change. Yeah. Uh, I became interested in the ART, uh, SG2000, I think it was called, which is a tube preamp. Yeah. And so I got that. And I got an ADA MP1 preamp, an MP2. Yeah. And I went to Randall. I said, look, I love my amps, but I need more power. Can you make me two snakes? Man, when I think about what a person I was, um, <laughs> I said, Randall, can you make me, I want two snakeskin bottoms. Because I had snakeskin uh, boots. Okay. I know this is this is way too much. Your audience is probably like already in the shower. Um, so so this snakeskin boots. I needed my speakers to match my boots, of course. God, what a person I am was. Yeah. Um, see, I'm going to ask every all the nice things you said off the air, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they found the Tolex, whatever they make these things out of, and I had to have four vintage. Celestians in two cabinets, two Randall cabinets, snakeskin, Tolex, and I needed two Randall power amps, 100 watts a piece. Damn, they made them. Yeah. No problem. And so for, for years, man, I used the ADA and the SCX 2000 ART as my amp heads. No. Okay. So so now uh, doing the stuff you do, are you using like fractal or helix? I use a, I use a helix. You use a helix, yeah. Now, do you do ever do any of your stuff through like UA plugins? You know, like no. I know I know UA. Oh yes, 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 uh, yes. I, I in fact I did one just this morning, which which started on the weekend. It's for the new NFL season, and I used the TH3, which is a Cakewalk plugin. Yeah. And I used the guitar rig. Oh, okay. And then I A-B boxed that into the Helix. Yeah. So I had the Helix. Now, the, it's strange because, you know, the Helix is known, what do they call this? Remodeling, I think they call it? Yeah. Wait, so you, you put down a track, right, and then you can pick the sounds later? Yeah. And I swear to God, Jimmy, I have not figured out how, I've been on these tutorials 40 times, and for some odd reason, I have never been able to use remodeling with the Helix, not once. Yeah. It, it just sits there. I, I hear different forums, you know, plug the USB, the number seven, and this, I'm like, forget this. Right. You know? But I, 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 this interview with you is making me want to learn it again. Um, but uh, uh, now the question four hours ago was, what amps do I like? 
So you're going to maybe find this strange, but I have a Johnson 150, okay. which, I, which I adore. And I go to that uh, quite a bit. When oh, I, yeah. And I, I do use amps every once in a while. Yeah. So I, I have the Johnson 150 Millennium, which is uh, in, in my studio, and that is always ready and on. I've got a Randall RG80 and a Randall 110 RTX. I think it's the same as an 80, but it had two channels and some other nonsense. And I have a Marshall, yeah. a Marshall head, which I bought for 600 bucks used at Guitar Center. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that does, does that help? It will. It will. It, it, I think it helps everybody that's paying attention because they find out, you know, you know, guys like you, you know, with the history you have, you know, what, what you're, you're, cause you know what? I, I interview a lot of people. You know how often I hear somebody say they're using a Johnson 150 or they use the sun? And it's not very, oh. not very many. Really? No, believe it or not, not very many. Most, you know what? It's really ironic is that probably I would say probably 75% of the people I talk to, it's, it's a fender. Fender Deluxe Reverb, Fender Twin, Fender Vibralox. You know what I mean? Amazing amps. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. They're, they're, they're tremendous. Yeah. You know, so so typically that's what it is. And part of that is because, of course, as you know, when guys travel, sometimes they have to, you know, work off a back line. And, you know, the easiest go-to is a Fender amp, you know, because then you know what you're getting, you know, for the most part versus if you're getting uh you know, some sort of Marshall or Boogie or whatever, you know? Yes. So, But, you know, that's what the last, um, in, in 2015, I don't know if you know this story, but I started to get messages on Facebook congratulating me for uh, landing the gig with John Anderson from Yes. And uh, I... <laughs> I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> I didn't know John Anderson. I didn't have a gig with John Anderson. Uh, and and the messages are coming in over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, it's fucking great, man. I, I was a big Yes fan. My favorite song <laughs> is this. It's like, I, when did you join Yes? And I was like, what is what has happened? So I started to look around social media. I was like, yeah. Jamie is with John Anderson. It's like, well, that's a surprise to me. So what had happened was, uh, do you know about this whole thing? No. Do your, do no. your listeners know about this? I, I don't know. I don't know if they know, but I know I haven't heard it. <laughs> All right, well, listeners, this is how life is, man. It's just the way it is. So Jean-Luc Ponty... Is, is, is that job? You're you're a side man. You're not in the band. I mean, it's called the Jean Luc Ponty band, but just Chicoria, all of them. It's, it's we're hired hand, right? right? Really good salary, but um, we we are not splitting the money on a forty thousand dollar concert. Believe me. Right. <laughs> um. So Jean Luc, every time he did a new album, and he did fifteen of them. He decided, look, I think that this bass player would be better for this album, and this guitarist might be better for this album, on and on and on, right? So we didn't have any kind of job security. That's for darn sure. 
Yeah. Uh, we do an album, we do a tour, and then there would be no more phone calls. It would be just, goodbye. Um, and somehow, the way fate has it, um, well, in, in 79-ish, he fired Steve Smith, the drummer, and me, and Alan Zavad, the keyboard player, because he thought we were making the band too rock and roll. That his vision was not to be that rocked out. And that included the way we looked on stage, the way we jumped around, the way we picked up the girls. I mean, the whole bit. And uh, so we were fired. I mean, we were, we were going to continue on this project, but we, he let us go. And so I went with a guy named Lenny White. You know that name? I do. Fantastic. He was a drummer with, with Chick Corea, Return to Forever, and Miles Davis, and all kinds of stuff. Right. So I, I joined up with Lenny. I did a wonderful tour and an album with him, with uh, Marcus Miller on bass, and uh, Donald Blackman on keyboards, and just really wonderful stuff. And I was still... I I was living in L.A. or just moved to L.A., whatever, and Jean-Luc called me on the phone, and he said, I'd like to take you to lunch. And I said, you know, I hadn't seen him for maybe two years. So I said, okay, that'd be great. It'd be great to see you, you know. So he takes me to this really cool place on Sunset Boulevard, and uh, he says, uh, I want you to join my band. I was like, What? He said, so what he offered me was a world tour. I'd never toured the whole world. A world tour, a live album, and a studio album. And he offered me more than double what I was getting salary-wise. And what double salary was like two and a half to three times what I was getting with Lenny. Yeah. So uh, it was kind of a weird time in my life because Lenny unlike Jean-Luc and Chick Corea and these others, allowed me to compose a song on the album, which means that I would get royalties uh, uh, from the album. He gave me an opportunity, you know? Yeah. But I couldn't pass this up, so I went to Lenny and I said, look, I'm sorry, I have to leave the band. And and Lenny was not happy. He was really not happy. Um, we, We remained best friends, but that was not a fun period for me. Um, and I went, went back with Jean-Luc and, and the rest is history. But what happened was in the eighties, uh, we hit pay dirt. We, we had one, you know, this is jazz fusion or rock fusion. We sold 400,000 albums. Wow. Yeah. And we were, we were opening for super tramp for a hundred thousand people a night. I mean, it just got to be a limos and the, we, we were, we were like, basically rock stars mm. and it's really I hate to say it but it's really sweet I loved it you know I remember we went to we went to Chile at, right after they got democracy and you know we're stars we, so the, the police had to lift us over the audience so nobody would rip our clothes off and then when I eventually uh, found the girl that I wanted to be with that night, I ended up with Miss Chili. Miss Chili. 
Miss Chili, like Miss America, Miss Chili. Right, right. And, and, and because this was a time in my life that I, you know, that I cherish and never forget, but it makes you a weirdo later, um, <laughs> which is what I am right now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you live a life like that. And What was the question? Yeah. <laughs> God help me. Oh, this has been great. Oh, uh, that's just terrific. I'm like, I'm in space here. I'm telling you the whole history of America. And, uh, it's been great. I tell you what, no, normally I, I do talk about a lot more things guitar, but you've made this extremely interesting and fun. Oh, uh, God help us. Um, listen, what was, what really, were you still asking me about amplifiers? I think well, you were. Well, no, you answered my question. <laughs> and then you went off onto this whole super tramp. Oh, gee whiz. Well, anyway, Chili. yes, I use the Marshall or the Johnson or the Randall here. <laughs> yeah. But 99% of the time, I'm using the Helix. Yeah. I also like very much the Digitech RP-1000. Yeah. And the one that preceded that, which is uh, the GNX-3000, I believe. Yeah. I found the GNX to be much more warm, uh, more amp-like than the RP-1000. Yeah. Uh, so I go back and forth with those. I have the three of that. But you know what? And, and for you know, listeners out there, make sure you support Jimmy's show and yeah. all this stuff if you're still listening uh, to my to our interview. But um, the the trouble here is that when you do music as a business, right? And again, I I hope that we're not losing your listeners because some people really cherish. The art form. Even when I was a kid, they said, "Do you play commercial music? You suck." You know, but and and I understand that, right? But what? But when I get a call, like I do for the Discovery Network, they'll say, "Write something that sounds a little bit like Lincoln Park or Chili Peppers or whatever," right? Yeah. Compose it, record it, mix it, and master it, and have it to me by tomorrow. Yeah. Wow. And so when when you are in a rock band, and then not or any band, but particularly rock music, you rehearse for weeks, then you go in the studio, then you switch the parts, then you get the sounds, and then if you have a budget, you're in there for five months, and you know finally your album comes out. But I don't live in that world. Um, I'm, I'm what the, what some people call a musical whore. Yeah. <laughs> But you, but you know what? There's there's uh, there's some there's some beauty in that it, from my standpoint. I think th- that it requires you know uh, uh, a different level or a different degree of talent. You know because it's one thing you know to to write an album with a band and you know like you say go through the five months in the studio and all that and prepare for a tour and that versus you know, having to be, you know, um, super creative on the spot. And at the same, at the same time, you have to be able to wield all the equipment that's involved in that. Because today, you know, even though everything's on our computer, some of it can be quite complex, you know, and so it really requires an awful lot in order to, because I've done some, some things, you know, I've, I've had some music in some independent films and, you know, wow. stuff, stuff like that. N- nothing, nothing big by any means in that, wow. but I, I understand, big, brother. but I understand, you know, to some degree, not to, not to the level you're at, of course, but to some degree, 
you know, uh, what, what that requires versus what it requires to play like in a blues band or a rock band or, or whatever. So, so yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a love hate thing. I mean, I, I got a, a note from the publisher yesterday prior to this NFL thing. And he sent me the song Panama by Van Halen. Yeah. And he marked out the song, like he said, from one minute and 37 seconds to one minute and 41 seconds. Try to do something like this, but nothing like this. And then make sure you return to that. I mean, it was like reading a manual for, for like a, you know, putting a refrigerator together. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes it, it gets a, gets to me of like, I, I'm an artist, you know, I, I, I don't want to write this by the numbers, but there's a reason, you know, I, I, when I first started the TV work, um, you know, I was blasting my soul, I was trying to show off, and he said, look, Jamie, the people are talking, there's dialogue, shut the hell up, you yeah. know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's kind of a love-hate thing in a way, you know, like, I, um, I remember I went on YouTube just recently, um, there's a guy who was, you know, well, we, we didn't get a chance in this interview to talk about social media, my social media business, which I adore. But um, to be a specialist in that, you have to have business and marketing background and then no social media and have thousands of dollars worth of software and all that crap, right? So I have ways to prop up my clients' YouTube stuff. Uh -huh. uh, without spending a lot of money on AdWords and all that stuff. And one of those things is a commenter. And basically what that is, is like uh, when I was selling one of my products, I used the software to investigate all the highest rated Jean-Luc Ponty videos. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then I used the software and I commented on each one of them with one click, and I basically wrote, it's, it is an honor to be Jean-Luc Ponty's guitar player. Um, it would be too hard for me to go video to video, so I used the software to do it, and I'm very proud of, you know, I am proud. It was an honest statement. I don't put my link there. I'm not spamming. Right. <clears throat> but what happens is when people, fans of Ponty are there, they see that one of the members of the band, particularly me, is actually on the video, they start to write me yeah. like crazy, actually. You know, I, I one comment brought like 91 responses. Um, and anyway, the story here, the love-hate thing is, one guy said, uh, and it was under my comment, he says, well, you know, out of all the guitar players that Jean-Luc Ponty has ever had, Jamie Glazer is the worst of all of them. And his sound sucks. And he's, and I'll never forget this, and he's got that New York, Long Island attitude. And I was reading this. I mean, I know there's a lot of haters on there and all this stuff, right? But for some, for some reason, man, it just, it made me sad, really sad. Yeah. Like, like it really hurt my feelings. Like, I, I like to think that, you know, we all like to be loved, right, Jimmy? Right. You know? And and maybe yeah maybe Steve Vai's sound is richer than mine maybe whatever whatever <laughs> but but that's my sound and it's it, my sound is part of my personality right? and so I I know better than to go and start a fight with somebody on YouTube um, 
But I figured it out, so I went to the guy's channel where he was featuring a video on how he cut an avocado. Yeah. That was that was his featured video. Right. So and, there and you he, go. And it was just it was pretty crappy. Right. Because I, I you know, I know how to cut an avocado. But it was like done on a on a on a crappy phone and you can only see his nose and he's chopping up and he's talking about the value of you know, cutting the avocado properly. Uh, maybe maybe he's listening right now. Um <laughs> and so so I went on his channel and I subscribed and I put uh, a like and I wrote, this is a great video. Thanks so much for the information. And I said, if you ever want to go to lunch in on Long Island, I'll be glad to take you. And that's the way I dealt with it. And then I felt all better. Yeah. Because I, I would take this bastard out to lunch. No question. <laughs> <laughs> But I thought, you know, because my initial reaction was, man, I, this guy doesn't like me. Right. Like a, I'm like a 65-year-old, 12-year-old. Right. No, I'm, I'm the same way. <laughs> Are you? I'm, I'm the exact, you know, this, this is my, this is my story. Not that long ago, I was on one of the, uh, Facebook groups that I'm a part of that was, okay. uh, it's one of the Dumble Clone, uh, groups. <laughs> And somebody po- posted uh, a video about one of Andy Fuchs' amps and that, you know, he really wanted to, to, you know, check out more and learn more about the amps. And okay. so uh, so what I did was in the comment section, I posted a link to my interview with Andy Fuchs. And I said, if you want to learn more about, you know, Fuchs amps, here you go. You know, here's something that you might want to. And he felt like all I was trying to do was to get him to go to my website or to my. I said that you were hijacking the thing. Yeah, you know, and 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 I wasn't doing that. I was really just saying there's a lot of really good information in this interview. Oh yeah. You know about Andy, and it's great from Andy. So <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, man. You, you might want to check this out. You know, it's I, you know, and it got it got all heated, and then and then it turned around to where it was like the guy was like, well, I don't know. He was like, I don't know who the hell you are or uh, what you know about, you know, Andy's amps or, you know, oh what my. you know about amps at all and all this and that. And then I just, I commented, I, I shouldn't have, I commented and I said, and who are you? You know, and he came back and said, who are you? And I said, well, I, I've i released nine albums on three labels. And wow. <laughs> and then I, then I deleted it, of course, you know, because I felt bad. It was like. Because I started spewing some of the stuff that you know I've done in my life, and I felt bad, and I was like, so I had to delete it. But it's hard. How come I don't have your albums? Uh, well, that, I can make sure you have them. Yeah, well, we'll have to do our little trade. We'll, uh, hello. All right. Well, back on the I, air. I'm I'm I'm, norm- I'm normally not on this long with with folks, but this has been uh, this has been rather fun for me. Well, it's really fun for me. You're you're great, and I agree. I mean, I've been. I spe- particularly after you reached out to me, I'm like on your page every day, see what's going on and check out the links and, um, you know, and that's, that's kind of the beauty. You get to know some people. I have made lifelong friends on there and, you know, and, uh, and, uh, I will count you as one. Um, if that's okay with you. Oh, that'd be great. And, uh, you know, this, this is a, it's a treat. Look, Jimmy, you know, I, I just, I'm another guy, you know, and, 
uh, I, I feel so blessed to know someone like you and, and honored and also to be able to, you know, pick up a piece of wood with wire on it and make a living. And, it, you know, with all that goes on in our world, with people suffering right now, particularly, you know, I, I, I thank my lucky stars, as they say in the old way, for, for all. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. I, I'm not sure that there was anything in the interview that would inspire anybody from my point of view. Uh, yeah. But uh, a bunch of people go, oh, I hate this guy. He reads music. Um, no, you know what? The, the, the world isn't necessarily like that when you get down to it for, I, I think people that are really serious about guitar are really serious about playing music. I don't think so. I think that people are really open. I, I mean, I know from my own perspective, I find it amazing to turn on YouTube and see a 12 year old sitting on the edge of their bed playing, you know, a million times better than I ever could. Me too, by the way. I, I watch that same stuff, and I'm like, I, right. the, the music has evolved to a point that I can't keep up, apparently. But, but you want to know something? I have a son who's 26 years old, and he started playing in his teens, and he could play amazingly as a teenager. He could play Steve Vai stuff and Malmsteen stuff in wow. and not bat an eye and just play incredibly good he couldn't read music or anything like that he didn't do tablature he did everything by ear but the uh -huh. thing was was you put him in a situation i'd be like okay i'm rehearsing with my band or we're going to be in the studio or something like that and so hey why don't you come play when you put him in that type of situation he couldn't play at all because that's what i've been finding it's yeah. unfortunate yeah he, he couldn't play he didn't know how to interact he didn't know how to improvise you know, he didn't, and, and it just says nothing about, you know, him as a player, because I've said this to him directly, because I, I tried, you know, one of the things I wanted him to do was I, it was really my passion for him to go to Berkeley, but, uh, but he didn't have no interest. You know, he went on to be a school teacher, which, That's fantastic. which we're ex extremely proud of, but, uh, -huh. uh, but he, he's in that category. He's that guy well, that I, you can see sitting on the edge of the bed at 16 years old playing amazingly and go, oh, my God, how does he do that? Because I can't. You well, know? here's the thing. I mean, the, you know, we have a term that I use at the music college, and that is we call them bedroom guitar players. Yeah. And, there is, and I really want to make it clear, if, if you have this part of the interview on the podcast, that I have a great respect for people who do that. It's just that you, you, when you see music from another perspective, I can't see myself sitting in front of a computer monitor, um, you know, learning lick to lick to lick to lick. And I mean, I, I know people who've worked. I had a student at, at, at the Snow College where I teach who spent over a month learning a Metallica song. Yeah. And, and he nailed it. And he also failed the remedial, just what you were saying. He failed the remedial test. Uh, we have what's called juries, right? Every semester, a jury uh, has to give you your grades at a music college if you're going for a degree. And he failed miserably. His reading sucked. His improvisation sucked. But you know what? When I had the conversation with him later, he said, look, I'm at this college to learn, right? He said, but when I get out, my dream is to be in a band like Metallica. 
I probably will forget most of what I learned here. Yeah. And that was a big enlightening moment for me. Yeah. Because, yeah, I've got to teach him what the school, the school has a kind of a curriculum. They need to know this, this, and this by the time they finish in four years. But if that's what a person wants, that's what their passion is. That, and I'm talking to your listeners directly. I hope that nothing I said was in any way, shape, or form uh, uh, negative or put down. It's just that I had a vision of making a living at this. I also had a vision of being able to play many styles. I, I got bored pretty easily, you know. Uh, yes, I, I, you know, I have my favorite bands, you know, my favorite group, bands I grew up with, favorite bands now, whatever, right? Yeah. But uh, my my wish was that, like, you know, it, it, I want to be kind of like, um, you know, what my nickname was in uh, in in L.A., Los Angeles. I was doing, I did eleven thousand weddings, right? Wow. And my, let me see, what, what, so what do you think they called me? What my, they didn't call me Jamie. I have no idea. Okay, so my nickname in L.A. was Jukebox. Jukebox. <laughs> yeah, because you call us, so we used to do what's called strolling, Jimmy. So what, what that meant is we played, the band would play, and then on the breaks, I would go table to table to table at any party, wedding, proms, bar mitzvahs, whatever, and just say, would anybody like to hear anything? And they say, yeah, well, do you know, uh, do you know Neil Diamond? Yeah. Do you know Alanis Morissette? Yeah. You know Elvis Presley? Yeah. And, and a lot of times, to be honest with you, I'd fake it. I knew just enough to get through. Yeah. But that's why they, they call me Jukebox. The thing is, your listeners, the great people who are listening, hopefully still right now, they don't have that vision, maybe, you know, and that, that's why music is so amazing. You want to, you want to play shred and, 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 you know, play, get on YouTube and have monetize your videos and, and be famous on YouTube. That's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. I, I don't think that, um, that's for me, you know, yeah. Yeah. unless I, I make a video of this dog barking, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think they've, they've, I don't want to say they've made it easy, but they've, they've, uh, they've glamorized it, you know, yeah. to where hey. it, it is so appealing, you know, to, to be able to do. And I've done some, some, I, you know, I do these videos sometimes. I call them at home jams with Jimmy Warren and, you know, just, you know, just do something to a backing track just for the fun of it. I have no intention, no intention of, you know, turning that into a career by any means. I just do it for giggles myself, uh -huh. but it seems like the uh -huh. art of being, you know, a Steve Lukather or a Jamie Glazer or a Jay Graydon or something like that is, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's a lost art to some degree. You know, it's different. I, I do. Um, you, you might be surprised how many people write me on face crap to, to do sessions for them. I mean, I, I, I haven't stepped in a large studio in maybe, was this, two, two years, since 2018. Even the album I did with John Anderson. Oh, I never finished that story. <laughs> oh, my Lord. This, you went the on listeners to, you, are going to be flipping out. Man. You went on to something else. I'm so sorry. Uh, um, can, can I finish that real quick? Yeah, real um, yeah. 
No, we'll we'll stop after this. <laughs> okay. So um, after Facebook, after Facebook wrote me that I was with John Anderson, I started to do some investigating, and I know where I left off. So Jean Luc, as I said, uh, changed his band all the time. But during the eighties, we hit, as I said, we did really well. So he kind of kept that band. He even called it the Atlantic Years Band because we're on Atlantic Records, and so forth, right? So here we are. I'm supposed is Jean-Luc Ponty band and John Anderson, except that Jamie Glazer is not in the band, right? Yeah. So I'm flipping out. Like, why did they not call me? It's the band that I was with through the '80s reunion and the '90s. Well, what happened? You know? Yeah. So it turned out that John Anderson was working with a guy named Jamie Dunlap. Jamie Dunlap is the composer for South Park. Okay. And for Disney. <laughs> and John was writing with Jamie. So Jean-Luc decided that if they had the entire band with John Anderson singing, it would look like a band like the Jean-Luc Ponty band featuring John Anderson. Uh... So they decided, again, here's a business decision, and also a musical decision, that Jamie would be the guy he's writing with, and they even wrote a song for the album, would do it. So they did a, they did a, a DVD, um, which was their first outing, right? Three, four days. Right. In Boulder, Colorado, they made the DVD, they, this giant, you know, pairing between Ponty and John Anderson. And that was it. And I kind of sat at home and was like, wow, well, good luck to these guys. I went on their page to congratulate everybody all the time with tears coming. You know, not tears, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right. and, and then one day I got a phone call from the manager who had been the same manager with the band. He said, would you like to join the John Anderson, Jean-Luc Bonnie band? I said, what? This is the weirdest, right? Because it's like a month later. I said, well, I know you have some guy, Jamie Dunlap, right? He said, well, he's not working out. <laughs> wow. So, so Jamie Dunlap is the guy in the DVD on the Anderson Ponty record. Right. But I'm the one you're listening to. I redid all his parts. Oh, wow. Right, and so there was the whole legal thing. So John Anderson, you, you know who I'm talking about, right? Of course, John. Of course, yeah. But John is a little bit different. <laughs> so he decides that the best idea to do, so nobody's feelings are hurt, is to redo the DVD and make Jamie Glazer a holograph. Oh, no. I, I am not trapping you, man. Oh, wow. A hologram. I'm going to be the hologram on the stage. Wow. Anyway, I guess I guess they had a bunch of meetings and decided that that would be a little bit too weird. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's the record has Jamie's listed and me, the DVD has him playing, which is really fun at one point because he's playing the electric guitar, but I'm playing the acoustic guitar. <laughs> um, it's a lovely DVD. But that's the music business. 
Right. Anyway, it was, it, it was great to play with John Anderson. And during those times, why am I talking about Anderson Ponte? Because we, you, you mentioned a lot of guitarists and musicians use backline. Yeah. So for the, do you think all your listeners know what backline are, is? Yeah, I would think so, you know. Okay. Yeah, I would so, think so. So we, in the old days, we used to have four semi-trucks with Ponte. But this is the, no longer do we do that. So we had backline. And so I had two triple, what do you call the triple rectifier boogies? Oh, yeah. The, yeah. Is that what they called? Yeah, triple. it is. Yeah. Yeah, so two, two triple rectifier boogies. With four Celestian boogie speak uh, cabinets, and I used the RP one thousand through the effect set to get my sounds. Yeah. So basically, I used the boogies as a power amp and nothing else. Yeah. And then later, I used the Helix with the boogie. I wonder, so one day I, I said, I wonder if the Helix sound as good as the boogies. Yeah. Right. I got to tell you guys, because I told you earlier in the interview, I haven't used amps that much recently. I plugged my guitar into the boogie, into the rectifier. Mm -hmm. I almost blew my pants off my leg. Oh, yeah. It was the loudest freaking amp I've ever, I can't (laughs) even, my ears, I mean, I couldn't believe it, Jimmy. I, I turned it up to like a three or something. And, and, and I like loud, but like I had tight jeans on and they were ready to blow off my legs, man. <laughs> yeah, well, those oh, yeah, rec- the boogies the, definitely, what, what? Rectifiers are, you know, they're pretty bad. I have, I have a couple of boogie amps. Um, Which one do you have? I have the Lone Star. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. of course. I have a Lone Star, I have a Mark II, and I have the uh, Fillmore 25. I don't know that one. That's, it's actually a new one. That came out last year. It was. It's kind of built off of the old Fender Basement platform. Oh. And it's really nice. It's a dual channel amp. It comes in twenty five or fifty watts, and I sound like a commercial now for Boogie. Oh no, sounds good. <laughs> it's dual dual channel. Both channels are the exact same, but the the clean. It's a great platform for pedals, but the clean channel is really really nice. And so I just for that one I just got the twenty five watt head. I use I use a small Marshall uh, two twelve vertical cabinet for cool. that, you know. But um, the the Mark II and the Lone Star, of course, are you know combo amps. So, well, what what mic do you prefer to use on your when you're recording or making videos on the on the speakers? I, well, I actually, I don't. I'm, I'm like you when I, when I'm doing my videos and that I run everything through either my, I run it through either my positive grid stuff. I'll run okay. it or I'll run it through my UA amps. Like I have a, uh, a 58 Plexi on there and then I have yes. the, uh, Foosh Overdrive on wow. there. So I might use those. Or I'll run it, I have a Helix too, or I'll run it through the Helix. So I'll, I'll usually use that system. I don't use an amp for that. Can you can you teach me how to re- do remodeling on the Helix? Because the tutorials aren't helping. Yeah, you know what? I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not the guy for that for you at all. Because you okay. know what? I have to play. I have to hear. I, I, it's like when I go into the studio and I record, like some guys will just record, you know, the clean sound and then they'll add everything to it. 
I can't do that. I have to hear it the way that it is. I don't know right. why, but I do, you know. Oh, similar. I, I, the one yeah. I did for the NFL today, I did two tracks at one time. So I had the clean one so I could re- remodel, and, yeah. and I used the sound that I was most comfortable with. So yeah. if they didn't like the sound I was comfortable with, which they usually, they're okay with usually, you know, at least I had both. But I'm exactly like yeah. you. I, I, well, you I know, th- to, put, to, to play a, a metal part with a clean sound sounds like a banjo. That's not going to happen. Right. Right. Now I, I can go, I do know this, that I can run through my helix and I go into my recording system and I just use, you know, I use Presonus, you know, okay. because it's, it's simple and I'll do uh-huh. that. And then I'll go to the inputs and when I'll insert, you know, one of the inserts, um, and, and then I'll drop down to my, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, you know what I'm talking about, the, <laughs> Uh, the, the effects and stuff, yeah. you know, and so, and then I can drop down to like positive grid or, you know, my universal audio stuff and I can click on what I want and it'll add it to it after the fact. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's kind of how I do it, but I don't know how to do it with the Helix for some reason. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to do it through the Helix, but I know how to do it through my system because, you know, and that's one of the things that's really nice about working with UA stuff. You know, I, I can do a lot of that that stuff right through their UA count their uh, console. Uh-huh, you know, yeah. going into the the system and that. So it's great stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, I know you have to go. I do too, because yep. as you heard during the interview, uh, Bullet is not happy because I only gave her her eighty dollar food. She wants <laughs> something added to it, which I ran out of. So I I am on my way to Walmart, which is very important in this house. Okay, so there you have it. Jamie's on his way to Walmart to get something for his dog. (laughs) Dogs, plural. So that was Jamie Glazer. Boy, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, By far, one of the most interesting guys that I've met so far out of all the years of uh, doing interviews and knowing people in that. And there's a lot of great people out there, don't get me wrong. But Jamie had some, uh, he's an interesting guy. He's a cool character in that. So I want to thank Jamie Glazer for being on Guitar Talk and investing that kind of time with me. It was, it was a blast. Now next week, you know, this is for all you guitar guys, you know, that like to build in that. I got Mike Delaney from Delaney Guitars. Now he produces guitars for a lot of great blues artists you know papa chubby walter trout samantha fish mike zito a lot of these cats are all playing or, or all have delaney guitars they're endorsed artists and so it was a it, it's a good conversation you know mike's been around the business for a long time he really knows guitars uh he builds some really unique uh, instruments, but at the same time, they're extremely practical for professional musicians. So uh, there's a lot of good nuggets that are going to be in this interview. Mike's a great guy. You're really going to enjoy it. So tune in next Wednesday when my guest is Mike Delaney from Delaney Guitars. Do me a favor. Make sure you're following us on social media, on Facebook, uh, following me personally on Instagram and Twitter, and also on Facebook. Uh, sign up for our mailing list at jimmywarrenofficial.com. Another thing you can do that would really be a help is, you know, we could use some monthly supporters, some people to support this program so we can keep it on the air and we can keep bringing you great uh, guests like we have so far. And we've got some amazing people lined up 
for down the road. Orianthi, Kurt Fletcher, George Lynch, just to name a few. So, uh, you know, you might want to support the show and help keep it on, on board. There's a, a place on our website and also at Anchor FM where you can uh, support our show either one time or on a monthly basis. We'd really appreciate it. Once again, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. I know this was a long show, but uh, well worth it, right? Well worth it. So tune in next week when my guest is Mike Delaney from Delaney Guitars. Until then, this is Jimmy Warren with Guitar Talk. <laughs>